for this opportunity to gather around your word this morning. We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to be able to hear what you might desire to say to us through your Holy Spirit. Lord, we offer you this time and pray that you would use it for the growth and expansion of your kingdom. For we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we're going to do today is talk a little bit about hospitality. And since we are Southerners and Charlestonians, one of the dangers that we fall into is we think we kind of know about hospitality. Charleston always is voted the most polite city in America. But what I want to try to do this morning is to differentiate between a biblical understanding of hospitality and a cultural understanding of hospitality, because they're two very different things. And if you look at this slide, I don't know how well you can see that. Um, does anybody know what movie that's from? Yes, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And if you could see it really clearly, what you would notice is it's a very odd sort of dinner party because it is a dinner party that is being hosted by two beavers uh, with four children as their guests. And what happens in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, if you remember the story, is these four children are called by Aslan into Narnia, a place that they've never been, that they know nothing about, and they get there, and it's freezing cold, and it's inhospitable, and they're scared, and they don't know which way to turn, and then Mr. Beaver comes up to them and welcomes them and doesn't just say, nice to meet you, have a good day, he learns a little bit about them, and then he invites them back to his home for lunch with his family. So it's a great example of hospitality. And I want to suggest, although this is hard for us to think about because we're, most of us, pretty used to St. Philip's. We know where things are. It feels warm and comfortable and familiar to us. But what I want us to try to do today is get out of our mindset of people who've been here who know where the restroom is and get into the mindset of somebody who, Aslan, who God has led to come to St. Philip's, who's never been here before, who might be like those little children in the snowy landscape, a little scared about what might happen next. So uh, this morning we're going to explore that a little bit, and you'll see up there some Greek letters. I am no Greek scholar. One of the things that I have learned is that very often when there's a word that's familiar in English, if you go back to the biblical text and find the Greek word and see what that word actually means, it can really help inform you about what the Bible is talking about. So uh, we are going to move through this. Uh, this is going to be a bird's eye view of hospitality with the bird flying very fast. So... Uh, the Oxford English Dictionary definition of hospitality, the friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers. That's really good. There's nothing wrong with that at all. In fact, we should be doing that, but that is not all that there is to biblical hospitality. If you look in the New Testament, the word for hospitality is phileozenos. And it is a mishmash of two Greek words. One, phileo, which Ryan just talked about in the sermon, which is the word for brotherly love. It's a deep affection, a deeply bonded brotherly love. 
that's the word that our city Philadelphia gets its name from. And then Zenos, the second word, means stranger or immigrant. And it's where we get the word xenophobia, um, fear of strangers, immigrants, foreigners. And the problem for us is that our cultural understanding of hospitality, when we limit it to the idea of entertaining guests, is only a small part of what the biblical word means. So thinking about it in our context at St. Philip's, hospitality means that we are to love strangers, immigrants, which for us might be people from off, or if you like the word kamyas instead, um, and even tourists. Tourists. Some of us might, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you have one of those t-shirts that says, if it's tourist season, why can't we shoot them? Uh, <laughs> But we are, to love, we are to love those people with brotherly love, with Christian love, and to invite them in. It's much more than just being polite. Now, don't get me wrong. Being polite is way better than being rude. And I think we are, by and large, a friendly and warm congregation. But there's more that we can do in this area. So I want to look a little bit at what Scripture says, and you could, we could spend literally a week in here just reading Scripture about hospitality. It is all over the place. But I just want to share some of these. The first one from Hebrews 13. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hmm. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another daily. And we're going to see as we go through this, there's a big link between hospitality and encouragement, both of which are major New Testament themes. And then this very important passage from Jesus Um, toward the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And what Jesus says right after that is, whatever you did to the least of these, my brethren, you did to me. What Jesus is saying is when we welcome the stranger, It is as if we are welcoming Jesus himself. Let that sink in for a minute. Uh, Mother Teresa used to talk about the people she served as being Jesus in the distressing disguise of the poor. So for us, it might be Jesus in the distressing disguise of tourist garb. It might be any number of things. But it means that we are to welcome and to serve as Jesus did. And then from Leviticus 19, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. 
for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And then from Philippians, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. This is having a radical focus on others rather than ourselves. And then do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for with such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So one of the things about biblical hospitality is it's deeply connected to fellowship. It's that whole idea of you can't take someone farther than you've gone yourself. So the more that we're experiencing love and true Christian fellowship among ourselves with those that we know in this body of believers, that will overflow into those who come as visitors. So fellowship is Christian. It's not just uh, in the South we think about fried chicken when we think about fellowship. That's not what fellowship means. Fellowship is a deep relationship among Christians that's commanded by God. It's not the same as friendship. It's a shared relationship with Jesus Christ that creates an eternal bond between and among believers, not based on common interest, gender, age, education, race, language, any of those things. We are bonded because of our common faith. Fellowship has to be entered into. You can be in a room with another Christian, but that doesn't mean you're experiencing fellowship with them. You have to be engaging. And then lastly, fellowship comes from seeking Christ together and being vulnerable. Vulnerability is something we don't much like. We tend to equate vulnerability with weakness, but vulnerability is at the heart of the gospel. If you look at Jesus sitting at the right hand of God who emptied himself and became a helpless baby, what is more vulnerable than a helpless baby who cannot feed himself, who will die without depending on others. And Jesus is our model of vulnerability. So I want to look a little bit tongue-in-cheek at a couple of things that hospitality is not. So the first one, hospitality is not just allowing someone to sit in your pew without scowling. Now, I will admit, I am just as territorial as any other person and I, we get, our creatures of habit, we like to sit in the same place. And sometimes our first reaction, if someone we don't know comes to that pew, or God forbid they got there earlier than we did, and they're in our seat, is to our first thing is like, what are you doing? Well, of course, most of us suppress that, and we manage a faint smile. And then we sit down and we seethe inwardly. But that is not the way it is supposed to be. Remember, these are not our pews. These are the Lord's pews. And when you start remembering, think of that stranger, that person that you don't know as being like those four children in Narnia coming in. And St. Philip's, we love it, and it's beautiful, and we're used to it. But if you are from somewhere else, and you've never been in a church with box pews, it's very frightening. I had a newcomer who is a very smart person with multiple graduate degrees tell me that the first time that she came to St. Philip's and had to go sit in a box pew, she felt like she was committing a carjacking. <laughs> but if you think about that, you see somebody you know, with the door and it's got a little lock on it, and if you're brave enough to walk up and undo that and then step in, 
that's something. So hospitality is more than just not scowling when that happens. The second thing, hospitality is not being cordial to your fellow parishioners whom you have known since childhood. That is great. We want that. It's a beautiful thing. And one of the great things about this church is we have a lot of people who've known each other all their lives. And it's beautiful to see each other and welcome each other on Sunday. But that's not hospitality. Hospitality is reaching out to those who are new, those that we don't recognize, who are in our midst that the Lord has brought here. Hospitality is not merely saying good morning to someone you don't recognize. Now, let me hasten to add, it's good to say good morning to people you don't recognize. That's much better than scowling at them. But it's important to do more than just say good morning, to find out a little bit about who they are, what they might need, what they might be interested in. And I will tell you, because of my position, I get to meet a lot of people that have been visitors here. God is bringing some fascinating and wonderful people in and out of the doors of this church. And they, uh, you might think of them as uh, God's undiscovered treasures uh, that he might be bringing as a blessing in your life. And I love this little quotation here from The Lord of the Rings where Gandalf, the wizard, who is the old, old friend of Bilbo Baggins but hasn't seen him for years, shows up to greet Bilbo, and Bilbo doesn't really recognize him and just tries to get rid of him by saying good morning and then turning away. And the quotation, if you can't quite read it, says, to think I should have lived to be good-morninged by Belladonna Took's son as if I was selling buttons at the door. And that is not the kind of greeting we want to give people here at St. Philip's. We want to be warmer than that. Hospitality is not just being in the same room drinking coffee. Now, I'm all about coffee. I have my coffee right here. Uh, But sometimes we think just because we're out there drinking coffee, we are showing hospitality. And it is part of hospitality that the coffee's out there, and God bless the people that run our coffee ministry and have that out there beautifully for us week after week after week. But every now and then, some brave, intrepid soul, like one of the children from Narnia, who's never been to St. Philip's, walks into the midst of that. And one of the beautiful things, as I have seen a lot of people in this room as soon as that person who's new walks in, they walk up, they look them in the eye, they shake hands, they show them where the coffee and the cream are, and they engage them in conversation. But I will also say sometimes, and I have to confess, I'm sometimes guilty of this, when I'm in a hurry or I want to get somebody that I need to talk to, I acknowledge that that person is there, but I just blow right by because I'm on my own agenda. And part of what hospitality is, is setting aside your agenda for the person that God puts in your path. Hospitality is not whispering, peace be with you, to no one in particular, as you hold your arms by your side. And I'm going to take a little risk here. I'm going to show you a little video um, done by some British comedians about um, a stereotypical churchgoer in the Church of England when they started introducing passing the peace. And this lady's name is Mrs. Beamish. 
And I want to confess before I show this that I have a little bit of Mrs. Beamish in me. Probably all of us do. Uh, but it makes, I think, some very good points. So if we are lucky, uh, this will work. Okay, so enough of Mrs. Beamish. Uh, there, there are unfortunately some uncomfortable truths in there uh, that we often think that we come to church because it's you or me and God against the world. It's the image sort of the, some of you are old enough to remember the Marlboro Man commercials of this tough, independent cowboy who's out there and he doesn't need anybody or anything. And when we come to church, sometimes we think, that's just my time with God. And that's part of what church is, but that is not the New Testament concept of church. The New Testament concept of church is a people drawn together, following Jesus Christ together, and welcoming others into their midst. And we see in the book of Acts, which we've been studying with Jeff, we see how all of that happens where people are drawn more and more into the faith because of the witness of the people that are in the church. So I want to look a little bit about what biblical hospitality actually is now that we've looked at what it is not. So again, part of biblical hospitality is the idea of being proactive. It means that you are taking the initiative, you're thinking about what it's like for visitors. And I want you to just think with me for a minute. Imagine that you are that average American family um, who has moved to Mount Pleasant. And somebody has told you that St. Philip's is a really great church. And so you get up early in the morning with your wife, and you get your three children, one of whom still in diapers, all ready and into the car, which is a minor miracle in and of itself. And you drive down here. You've never been to St. Philip's. You drive down Church Street. You don't really see any signs about parking or anything. You see high fences with spears on the top. <laughs> and you think, where's the parking lot? And then if you are very, very, very fortunate, you happen to look to the left and you see a parking lot. And if you are really fortunate, you pull in there and there's actually a place. So you get out, you manage to get all your children unloaded, and then you think, this church covers an entire block. Where are we supposed to go? And you see this big sidewalk and a guy with a parrot leading a walking tour. And, and you think, is that part of the church? And you, you don't know where to go. And if you're really lucky, you see the Christian ed greeters that are right outside the parish hall. And you find them first. And they will welcome you and get you to the nursery and point you to the bathroom of the church. But if you mistake and go to the wrong entrance, Lord help you. If you go to the church at 9.30, there's nothing going on there except maybe choir practice. There's no one there. It's very difficult. So we need to practice hospitality. And those people, they're trying to come to church. 
Yeah, but we need to be there to help welcome them. And it's, none of us are trying not to be welcoming. We just don't think about what it's like for someone for whom this is not familiar. So I want to look at five points that we'll be running through pretty quickly. The first thing that biblical hospitality is, is a proactively and distinctly Christian ministry of warm welcome and love rooted in a biblical understanding of the worth of each person. Secondly, it is an other-centered, self-initiating focus on the needs and circumstances of newcomers that flows out of our love for Christ and our fellowship that we have with one another. It is a focus on living out the golden rule. It is a focus on encouragement. It is a focus on seeking after Christ and sharing his love with others. So first, a proactively and distinctly Christian ministry of warm welcome and love rooted in a biblical understanding of the worth of each person. Part of this means we just need to back up and remind ourselves about who God says we are as his people. And what Genesis teaches us way back at the beginning of Scripture is that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. Out of all of the things in creation, there's only one thing that was called very good, and that is man. Every human being is made in the image of God. Not all are children of God because they haven't come into a saving relationship with Jesus, but all are made in the image of God, and therefore it's a little song we used to sing, they are precious in his sight. They are precious. People that come to this church whom we don't know, who are like those four children in the snow, they are precious in God's sight. They are his prized possession. And as First Peter says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Every person, Jesus died on the cross for us while we were yet sinners. People are of incalculable worth. And then as Paul says in Thessalonians, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. It's not just saying good morning. Good morning is great. It's way better than a scowl. But there's so much more that we're called to, to invite people into the loving presence of Jesus and the warmth of the love that there is in this congregation. And there's a wonderful passage, not surprisingly, from C.S. Lewis uh, about this. And I think this passage, if we really get a hold of it, will transform the way that we think about people. I'm just going to read this. Follow along. This is from The Weight of Glory, Lewis's great sermon in World War II. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and circumspection proper to them, that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, 
All friendships, all loves, all play, all politics, I'll add all St. Philip's hospitality. There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors are everlasting splendors. This does not mean we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play. But our merriment must be of that kind, and it is in fact the merriest kind, which exists between people who have from the outset taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. If he is your Christian neighbor, he is holy in almost the same way. For in him also Christ very laditat, the glorifier and the glorified, glory himself is truly hidden. There is deep truth in that passage about how valuable humans are. And remember, we live in a culture that devalues humans. We are told, particularly by the atheistic, materialistic worldview, which is prevalent and which is taught in schools now, that we are just a random assemblage of atoms. There was no design, there is no God, and we have all evolved from the primal goo. And it is only an accident of fate that you didn't end up being a rock or a blade of grass or a cockroach. And when you die, your atoms just revert, and so your life doesn't matter. And Christians have a radically different view of that, that we are made by a loving God, and each one of us is in his image, and we can live lives of purpose, meaning, beauty, truth, and goodness. And in a culture where there's rampant despair, that is great good news that we have that needs to be shared. So the second thing, hospitality, biblical hospitality is an other-centered, self-initiating focus on the needs and circumstances of newcomers that flows out of our love for Christ and our fellowship with one another. And part of this is a changed mindset. What are we coming to church for? Sometimes it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking going to church is like coming to the filling station, that you're running out of gas because it's been a hard week and you need to fill up. And there's an element of that that is absolutely true, that when we worship together, Jesus is present with us in a powerful way, and that inspires and equips us to go back out into the world. But that's not all it is. Gathering together is also the time that we draw in the other people that God brings into our midst. Just as Aslan summoned those children to Narnia, God is bringing people to St. Philip's. We're one of the few churches in the world that literally has hundreds of people banging on the door trying to get in. Now, a lot of those are tourists that want to see the building, but I just, I just want to share with you an interesting statistic about that. There was a study that was done in the UK last year, and the UK is probably even more secular than the US in a lot of ways, and there was a study about people who were in their 20s who had come to deep faith in Jesus Christ in their 20s who had grown up in completely atheistic households who had never gone to church, who had not gone to church-related schools, whose families were not Christian. They were nuns, not N-U-Ns, but N-O-N-E-S, no religion, none of the above. 
and they were queried about what was it that started you on your journey to faith. And they had a list of about 20 things, going to a Bible study, um, going to a worship service, having an apologetics conversation with somebody who was a Christian. Do you know what the number one thing was? The number one thing was going into a beautiful church building. Because our culture has lost the sense of the transcendent, the mystery of holiness, the beauty of holiness, and that when people went into these churches that were beautiful, that had centuries of Christian worship, they were touched in some way that there's something there that's real. So if that doesn't motivate you to help work with the Open Door Committee and keep the church building open, um, I don't know what will. But the other thing about this changed mindset is understanding, as Archbishop William Temple said, is the church is the only institution that exists primarily for the benefit of those who are not yet its members. The church is the only institution that exists primarily for the benefit of those who are not yet its members. That doesn't mean it's not to benefit us, but that's not the primary thing. If it was just us, I'm sorry to say everyone in this room is going to die at some point, and that would be the end of the church if it were just us. It is for those who are not yet members. Archbishop William Temple knew what he was talking about. I think he's the only Archbishop of Canterbury whose father was also Archbishop of Canterbury. So there's some deep wisdom there. But this verse from Philippians, if we can get a hold of it, will help us transform our mindset. Look at what Paul says. Do nothing. Nothing. That's a strong word. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And I love the way Paul phrases that because he doesn't say that your own interests are unimportant. He doesn't say that it's not important for you to pray and to worship, um, to bring before God the things that are on your heart. But he says that's not all it's about. You are also to be looking to the interest of others, to think about what might be going on in the life of someone else, what prompted them to come to church if they haven't been here in 20 years or if they've never been here. The Lord might be doing a little work in their heart, and they might just be waiting for your smile, your greeting, your question to begin to engage. And I will tell you, we have some people that are really good at this kind of thing, of inviting people to lunch, inviting people into their homes, getting their addresses and getting them to the church office so we can follow up with them. And guess what? People that are welcomed in that way keep coming back. It's amazing. So this is one of the things that I think if we can all grow in this and changing this mindset to start thinking about who is it that God might have brought to St. Philip's this morning that I am the person that they're supposed to encounter. You know, it might be as simple as a pat on the back. It might be as simple as explaining to someone that their prayer stations during communion if they want to have someone pray for them. It might be inviting someone to lunch. It might be asking them to meet you for coffee. It could be whatever the Lord leads you to. The third thing, a focus on living out the golden rule. 
If I took this slide down and asked you to repeat what the golden rule is, I bet every person in here could tell me. And this particular translation says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And by the law and the prophets, Jesus means this sums up the whole of scripture to do this. So that might be pretty important. It might be pretty important. But the problem is, this is perhaps one of the most widely known and widely misunderstood passages in Scripture. Because if we really look at what we think this passage means, it often boils down to this. What you don't want others to do to you, don't do to them. And this is the way we often teach it to children. Do you want your brother to slap you? No? Well, then don't slap him. It's the golden rule. And there's some truth to that. We don't want to be slapping, okay? But what this verse actually is saying is radical if you can get your head around it. What Jesus is saying is to think about what it is that makes you feel great, what it is that makes you have a wonderful day, what are the things that cause you to be blessed and fulfilled and strengthened and all of that. What are those things that in your life bring that kind of spiritual joy to you? You are to consider that, and then you are to proactively do those things to other people. With a little bit of a filter about they might not like exactly the same thing you do, but being proactive. If you want someone to hold the door, if you like when someone holds the door for you, if you like someone to ask you how are things going and then to really listen If you like to be warmly greeted when you go to a place that you haven't been before, those are all things that we need to live out. Uh, I'll pick a little bit on a secular example here. One of the reasons that Hall's Chop House is so remarkably successful is they understand hospitality. And I think they've got a little edge of biblical hospitality in there because if you've been, when they have the spiritual singers who are sold out for Jesus and are talking about the gospel to people at lunch on Sundays. But those people embrace you, literally. They welcome you. They are so glad that you're there. And, of course, they want your money. (laughs) What we want is for people to meet Jesus Christ and to grow deeper with him. And we ought to be more hospitable than Halls. We've been around a lot longer than they have. And... uh, We have many more staff than they do because all of you, remember, every person in the church is a minister. So living out this golden rule is important, but it means we have to take that time to consider. Probably most of us haven't sat down to think about, if I were a newcomer to St. Philip's, how would I want someone to treat me? What would I be confused about? What would I need to know? What would I want somebody to ask me? Or how might someone help me? Those questions are really good, and we'll all have different answers, and that's great because all the people that come, we have people that are new that come who are like my mother who started coming back to St. Phillips at age 88. We have people who are newcomers who are high school students who sometimes come on their own to St. Phillips. We have everything in between. So that consider, think about is really important. Fourthly, a focus on encouragement. I could go on and on and on about this, but I'm not going to. 
Uh, but encouragement is one of those words that is all over Scripture. And one of the things that I would encourage you, there's that word again, to do sometime is read through the book of Acts and look every time the word encouragement comes up. Because when we think about St. Paul, we think about Paul being the great apostle to the Gentiles who spread the gospel all around the world. And that is absolutely true. And we think about his preaching and his reasoning with the people on Mars Hill and the Areopagus in Athens and all of those kinds of things. But what you will notice if you read Acts carefully is that it talks about Paul going every place that he went and then going back after he preached to encourage them. And the word encourage is a very interesting word because it's a mishmash of two words. Encourage, to put courage into, to put courage into one another to live out our faith in Jesus. We live in a culture that is all about discouragement. There is a buzzsaw of discouragement and criticism and negativity all around our culture. And what Jesus says is, by this, all men will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. That love is expressed in proactive encouragement. And there's a very interesting Harvard Business Review study that says the most effective teams are those where the culture of encouragement is so strong that there's a six-to-one ratio between positive encouragement and criticism. And think about what comes out of your own mouth during the day. Do you have six times as much encouragement coming out as you do complaining or criticism? Preaching to myself here. But part of, part of the idea here is that when we are living out that encouragement within the body here at St. Philip's, that will spill over to newcomers. We'll be so used to it that we'll want to bring them in. And the great thing about this is it can just be small steps. You might pray each week, God, put in my path one person I don't know for me to speak to. That's a small step. You don't have to change the world. Start small. Or it might be, I'm going to look for people that were brave enough to put on that yellow ribbon and look for them after the service and say, hi, my name is whatever, We're so glad you're with us at St. Philip's this morning. What brought you here? And then just see what happens. There's so many small things you can do. If there's somebody at coffee, you can offer to get coffee for them and come back and speak with them. Or when you see someone, tourists and people who are visiting are often very obvious when they're here because they look confused. If the usher's not there, you can go and introduce yourself to that person and say, can I help you find a seat? so they don't feel like they're carjacking. There are lots of things that you can do that will help. Fifthly, a focus on seeking after Christ and sharing his love with others. The great commandment, which was in the Bible long before it was in the prayer book, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, when Jesus says something's the greatest commandment, that might get our attention, just possibly. And you'll notice, once again, he's got that law and the prophets here. This sums up all of Scripture when we do this. So we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, and we are to go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything, etc. This is our charge from the Lord. And so being hospitable and focusing on sharing Christ, welcoming people into this relationship with him is so important. And I just want to close with sharing a little bit of the story of Rosaria Butterfield. Has anybody ever heard of Rosaria Butterfield? All right, good. Well, Rosaria Butterfield is a very interesting lady. And just as a little background, many of us are very concerned about the state of our culture. We feel like our culture is going off the deep end, that it is in the fast lane with no speed governor, and it is hurtling off a cliff. And the traditional morality, values, the Christian faith, all those things are under major attack, even in institutions that are supposed to protect them. And I would submit to you that part of the problem we have is that we focus so much on wringing our hands about the state of the world that we have forgotten the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Rosaria Butterfield is one of those people that we love to talk about. She was a committed, militant lesbian, tenured professor at Syracuse University, one of the heads of the women's studies department there. Um, I'd encourage you sometimes to just go look at the course list in women's studies departments in Northeastern universities. Um, It will curl your hair. But this lady was militant in her view. She was married to another woman, um, and she had no use for Christians. But God had another plan. It was great. She came into relationship with a neighbor who happened to be a Presbyterian minister. And at first she was like, oh, forget these people. So small-minded, not progressive, all of those kinds of things. To make a long story short, these people, this Presbyterian minister and his wife, loved on her. They invited her to dinner. They listened to her without judging even when she was saying things they radically disagreed with. They were interested in her friends and her causes. They listened to her. They invited her not just to dinner, but to arts events and other things. And they slowly but surely built a relationship of trust with her. And then she started occasionally coming to some church functions. And she was so struck by the difference in the relationships and that these people actually really seemed to love and care for each other, that she was drawn in and eventually gave her life to Jesus Christ, went 180 degrees in the opposite direction, and now is married herself to a Presbyterian minister and has several children. And she is an example of the life-changing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we know, but so often we forget, and we're intimidated by people like that. What if that minister had said, well, she's off the deep end, forget about her. But look at who our Lord spent time with. He spent time with the prostitutes, the lepers, the down and out people that the culture and the religious establishment had written off. And there is a terrific book, um, if you want to really get shaken up, uh, that uh, was Christianity Today's Book of the Year in 2019 um, in the discipleship category that's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And Sam Alberry, who's one of the chief apologists for Ravi Zacharias Ministries, says this about this book. The biblical call to show hospitality is one of the most overlooked or misunderstood commands in Scripture. 
We either ignore it or mistake it for what our culture calls entertaining. Rosaria Butterfield gives us a vision of hospitality that pulses with the beating heart of the gospel itself. We know a God who sought us out, took us in, made us family, and seated us at his table. It's a vision that is bracing and attractive. It daunts us, but it shouldn't. I wonder how different our homes, churches, and cultures would be if we took it to heart. And I want to close just by looking at some of the words to this hymn that we've been singing a lot lately. Um, I would commend this hymn to you to study the words. It's called, O Church Arise. And I don't want to read all of it, but I want to look particularly at the second stanza. It says, Our call to war, to love the captive soul, but to rage against the captor. And with the sword that makes the wounded whole, we will fight with faith and valor. When faced with trials on every side, we know the outcome is secure, and Christ will have the prize for which he died, an inheritance of nations. And up in the stanza right before, uh, with shield of faith and belt of truth, we'll stand against the devil's lies, an army bold whose battle cry is love, reaching out to those in darkness. And this is the truth of the gospel that we have. It is the truth that the amazing God we serve, and it is the truth that our battle cry is not vengeance on the culture, but our battle cry is love, to make the wounded whole, to bring the truth and joy and fellowship that we know to those who don't yet have it. So all of us in this room are people who are seeking to please Jesus, and all of us are people who don't succeed completely in that, especially me. But this is an area that we can grow in, and it's an area where it's not that hard. So I would encourage you to pray into this, to think about what might be the one or two little steps that God might be calling you to take so that our warm and wonderful and friendly congregation here can become one that practices even better biblical hospitality. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you did not stay in the comfort of heaven and God's right hand, but you, can't, you chose to be born, to be incarnate in our world, to be vulnerable as a little baby. Lord, to show us the extent of your love. Father, we pray that you would help move us out of our comfort zone, that we would share your love and biblical hospitality with this world who so desperately needs you. Lord, we know we are inadequate in our own strength, but we know that you are the one with the power and the giftings and the Holy Spirit who can equip us to do the work you have given us to do. So we pray that you would come